And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope that you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my friend Jim Garrity from National Review. It's always a great time talking to Jim. Uh, not a lot of cheery subjects today, but <laughs> we, we talked about the uh, the economic slowdown and the stock market crash, which is currently happening. Uh, we talked about the coronavirus. Uh, we talked uh, some Bernie Biden. We previewed uh, the inevitable race between... Uh, Trump and Joe Biden as well. Um, yeah, we, we break it all down. Uh, before I get to Jim, I need to say hi to our friends over at Man Beard Company. A lot of economic uncertainty, but you can always be certain in uh, your beard making you look like a million bucks. Man, was that a stretch? <laughs> was that a, I, had no, I had no transition today. I apologize for that awful transition. Anyway, gentlemen, grow a beard. You look like trash. You'll look way better if you grow a beard. And once you grow a beard, you know, you need to use the right beard oil. Man Beard Company beard oils have the appropriate amount of fatty acids, vitamin E, and vitamin A to keep your beard in great shape. You'll notice the difference in just a few days of using it. Um, it makes your beard look great, makes it grow nice and even. Um, it smells great, and there is no greasiness or oiliness at all. A lot of beard oils, uh, you know, they smell great and all, but, you know, they don't feel good on your skin. They're oily, they're greasy. Not the case. Man Beard Company beard oils are the best. It is premium stuff. The best beard oil I've ever used by far. Check them out over at manbeardco.com. That is manbeardco.com. Use the promo code NOGIMMICKS. Once again, the promo code NOGIMMICKS for a great deal on your order of beard oils. Uh, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NOGIMMICKSPOD. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Without further ado, here's my chat with Jim Garrity. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with Jim Garrity from National Review. Jim, my friend, how you doing? Brady, it's great to be with you, and it's great to be with you remotely through Skype, not it is. face-to-face. It is, yeah. I think that's uh, going to be my tactic for the next uh, six months or so. Um, <laughs> hey, wait, I, were you at CPAC last week? Have to ask. Indeed, I was. I was only ah. there for one, day, uh, for one afternoon, probably no more than you know, two hours or so. Uh, I've already gone through the lit- my, my mental checklist of people whose uh, hands I shook. I don't think any of them are back in New Jersey. I think if they were the ones who were the coronavirus uh, patient, I would know, uh, or I would have heard through the grapevine by now. So I'm feeling okay about that. Haven't had any health issues, which is good because CPAC usually has the crud that everybody gets uh, right afterwards. <laughs> Normal colds and viruses and stuff. Right. Um, I, I, look, you know, you you know, know I, I just call, I typically just call that ailment a hangover. But, uh, you know, ah, there's also that usually you'd think enough people would have enough alcohol in their systems to, you know, uh, to be the equivalent of bezeling Purell, to be safe. But, uh, right. I mean, their bodies are not a very good host for a virus after after CPAC, I'd, I'd imagine. But uh, all right. So let's jump right into uh, the news of the day. The press, um, they they believe that they're finally getting what they've always wanted. <laughs> which is which is a recession they've been rooting for it for years. Um, the stock market's obviously down big today. The S&P 500 took all of, of six minutes 
after opening this morning um, to halt trading uh, due to a 7% drop. Uh, you know, people are scared. They're, they're scared about the coronavirus. They're selling. Um, a, a, the bigger issue is probably what's actually happening between Saudi Arabia and Russia over oil. But, you know, people are scared. Um, there's a major sell-off. Uh, we'll, we'll jump into to what this means. But uh, your, your thoughts on what we're watching this morning? Sure. Uh, well, the first thing is, and I, I should emphasize, I, I mostly cover politics. Some of that sometimes goes over into the state of the economy. And so I'm not a financial reporter. Don't take any stock advice from me anything, and all that, although appropriate caveat supply. That having been said, it looks like the stock market, which had been really up and down the last couple of days, you know, down a thousand points and then back up 900 and, and all, all that, was the markets trying to figure out, okay, we've got this big problem of a coronavirus. We know this is going to hit certain parts of the economy really, really bad. Flights and airlines, uh, cruise lines, I think are, are obviously, for big reasons, obviously in trouble. Um, people might go out less and they might, uh, you know, purchase less, uh, you know, fewer vacations. Anything related to tourism is probably going to get hit tough. Uh, companies switching over to tele, uh, you know, to telecommuting and things like that. So um, all kinds of little factors that that you know the, the investors are trying to take into account here. Now you throw in OPEC and Russia getting into this price war. And it was like one more risk factor that I think the markets were ready to handle. And things have been on a really good run for a really long time. And maybe there's a little bit of a uh, once bitten, twice shy mentality from the, the you know the, the market issues of the Great Recession, or or maybe it's something in between. I think you know, eventually the market will bounce back. I don't know when that's going to be. I don't think you need to absolutely panic. And there are two other things that are coming out in this economic, in this latest you know, batch of economic news. Um, the price war will eventually bring down gas prices, which are already pretty low. I think it was you know, 214 where I was uh, just this past weekend. Um, conceivable, you'll see whatever your regional gas prices usually are, you could see them sliding down. And as people, you know, lots of economists point out, you give people a break on, ta on, on the gas prices. That does free up some more money for them to spend on other things. The bad news is, you know, with coronavirus, it's probably going to be takeout. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> right. going to be some, or delivery <laughs> or right. something where they're uh, not eager to go out and hang out as much as they usually do. The other one is, I believe, interest rates are now really low, and now that the uh, for a thirty-year mortgage, you're now looking between two and three percent. Um, so, if you ever thought about buying a house, maybe this is a pretty good time for doing that. Um, yeah, no, no better All place to quarantine said. yourself is in a, a brand new house. So. Exactly, exactly. You know, you, you just don't have a, a housewarming party. You just right. do it over Skype like we're doing right now and say, see, see all the pictures? So, um, look, it's we, we've had a really nice run in the economy for a while. You could argue we were due for some sort of correction. The boom couldn't continue forever. I actually don't think, at least so far, we're probably, you know, the recession is traditionally defined as two quarters of negative growth. Right. Last month's jobs report was really good. The, the really good news is we headed into this economic, this you know coronavirus crisis, probably in about as strong a shape as we could get in. The bad news is maybe that gives you a little more room to fall, and I think you're seeing that in the market right now. Um, I don't know where we will be three months from now. I hope we don't, don't get two consecutive uh, quarters of, of negative growth. Um, but look, I think you know there's a we're we're in for some economic rough seas for the next couple for at minimum till summer uh if not more than that yeah i definitely agree with that and you know just side note like obviously i i'm i'm no expert on on trading or the stock market by any stretch of the imagination but i mean look I, i'm 31 years old i don't have that much in the market and i kind of just play around a little bit and and kind of learn the ropes and and i don't need 
my, my stocks. You know, I, I've never sold anything so far <laughs> in my life because, I mean, I don't, I don't need to. I'm 31. So uh, to all you guys listening, I'm no expert, but it seems like a pretty good time to buy. Uh, I mentioned to Jim before we started recording, Ford is at 6 bucks right now. Uh, Ford is not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> They're a pretty stable yeah. company. But, you know, buying Ford at 6 bucks is like, you know, it's like yeah. taking the under on the Jets winning 12 games this year. It's a pretty there safe. There you go. Yeah, that's that's safe. Safe Sorry, I had to get one fun. Jets joke in. had to get one Jets joke in. But, no, you know, it's fine. Especially if you're young and, you know, you don't need, you know, to, to cash out or anything. Like, it's a great time to buy. Don't be a... Don't be a silly little person who panics, sells all their stocks at the first sign of a, of a recession. Don't be that guy. I mean, this guy was, uh, uh, you know, it was a, a good perspective. Of who was the, it was the, some guy who said they were selling all their stocks at the start of the Trump presidency. <laughs> um, Oof. The Dow was, the Dow was the at 18,000. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, I mean, look, if you're several decades away from retirement, you're probably going to be fine. In fact, if you're, you know, even five years away from retirement, the only people who are, should be really freaking out right now are the people who are, um, I, I suppose there are some retirees who are at the point where their, their quarterly dividends are part of their income. Um, but, but by and large, look, you know, with the stock market, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. Most of the time, over the last 80 years or so, it gradually goes up. Sometimes it goes up very fast, sometimes it goes up very slow, and then sometimes you get a big correction in days like today, which looks really bad. Um, and feels really bad. And, you know, you may not want to check your 401k balance in circumstance like this. But, uh, you know, probably in the long run will be okay. I, I do kind of, you know, it it does add, I just like, we, we already had public health anxieties because of the coronavirus. Now we've got economic anxieties on top on the coronavirus. And Brady, I found myself writing something in today's morning jolt that I, I didn't expect to be writing. I don't know how you felt back in the, the days of the Tea Party, but I was among those who really had qualms with the uh, the bailouts, uh, really felt like it was creating moral hazard. It was saving the big financial institutions and General Motors from their own bad decisions at the expense of the taxpayers. Although it's worth noting, the banks paid back all the money they owed with interest, right. which was actually pretty nice for taxpayers, even though people don't forget yeah, that. General Motors, we lost about 10 billion, was it, I think? So, you know, it's Something not- like that, so, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that part of the deal didn't turn out so terrific. Um, but I think in this circumstance, you know, if you're a cruise ship, you know, like if you're a cruise ship company, you're probably facing a really rough patch and or the possibility of bankruptcy. Right. Just yeah. nobody's going to want to go on cruises right now. As of this morning, the centers, U.S. Centers for Disease and Control was saying don't go on cruises, not just for the elderly, not just for the immunocompromised, which, oh, by the way, you know, if you, if you look on cruises, a lot of retirees like to go on cruises and things like that. Um, and basically, anything related to tourism, I think you're going to see Congress discussing a bailout. And I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I feel a little more understanding about a bailout or at the very at the very least low interest or no interest loans to come to businesses to keep them afloat during something they had nothing to do with, like a coronavirus outbreak, than say, you know, oh, we made up a whole bunch of, you know, mortgage loans that we really shouldn't have. We're too big to fail. Come come, come save us taxpayers. Yeah, I mean, look, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Austrian econ economics. So, uh, I mean, just the thought of any kind of bailouts makes blood shoot out of my eyes like Joe Biden. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it would probably be a little bit more realistic this time around. But let, let's bring it back to politics um, real quick. And, I, you know, I just prepare for the podcast. I was flipping through the cable news channels, which I, I really don't enjoy doing. But. I, over on MSNBC and CNN, they're giddy. I mean, they can't even, they can't contain their excitement 
um, that they get to try to blame this on Trump. But I, is it going to work? I, I I just don't think the press is going to get what they want. I don't know how. Yeah. I I just have enough faith in my fellow countrymen to believe that the American electorate is not that stupid. I mean, who's really that? Like, yeah, well, there, the, there are a couple the, complications here. First, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the giddiness you're seeing on MSNBC, part of it stems from the fact that the great irony is we think of, oh, you know, MSNBC, a bunch of liberals, a bunch of progressives. Of course, they love Bernie Sanders. According to the Bernie Sanders campaign, MSNBC is ludicrously anti-Sanders. I don't know if you can necessarily agree with that. I think you could say that some folks like the now departed Chris Matthews were pretty clearly right. anti-Bernie Sanders. Right. Um, and I think, you know, anybody who could read a poll or anybody who could look at various factors could say, oh, my goodness, Trump versus Bernie Sanders while it wasn't impossible that Bernie Sanders could win, the odds of Trump winning and Trump winning by a really healthy margin uh, were pretty darn good. You know, Bernie Sanders praising Castro means he's not winning the state of Florida. Uh, Bernie oh, yeah. Sanders calling for a fracking ban means he's not winning the state of Pennsylvania. Nope. Um, so a whole bunch of states, you know, so with Biden being the nominee and not having those stances and not making those kinds of statements, all of a sudden states like Pennsylvania and Florida now look like they're back in play. Uh, some of the giddiness of the Democrats is a sense that they've dodged a bullet, uh, that you know, nominating Sanders was going to tank their chances and also have just terrible effects down ballot. I mean, Democrats were pretty openly saying nominating Sanders would put the House at risk. Um, in Texas, they don't really think they're going to swing the state blue, but they were hoping to have down ticket uh, success in the state legislature and races like that. Bernie Sanders would just crush them. Um, we're heading into the, the state legislative cycle that influences redistricting. Right. Uh, the census count comes out. Some states are going to lose House districts. Some states are going to gain House districts. Who controls the state legislature often controls the redistricting, depending on what the, the state rules are. Um, and Republicans were set for a really terrific win. Now it's a little bit less. But Brady, one of the things that jumps out at me is that all the problems that Joe Biden had when he was tanking in Iowa and in New Hampshire um, are, are still there. <laughs> He's the yeah. same guy he was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. He is, you know, kind of getting up there in years. He doesn't look as sharp. His, his comments are kind of meandering. Um, it's very interesting to see the debate on Twitter about whether it's legitimate to even raise these issues or whether you're engaged in some sort of, you know, unfair, um, you know, you're mocking an old man or something like that. that, that somehow it's unfair to talk about whether Joe, Joe Biden is as mentally sharp as he used to be. And I think anybody who's watching him can kind of see that. Now, you know, the, the President Trump is not always the most straight, straightforward, coherent, Shakespearean quoting, uh, eloquent uh, speaker of all time. But between the two of them, I think Trump does a much better job of getting his uh, his message across. Message across. Um, you know, all in all, I, I you know, could Biden be Trump? Sure. Uh, do I think Biden is going to do well holding up against the day to day strain of a no holds barred campaign against Trump? I have my doubts about that, and I don't know how this is. And also, I think this is probably going to be the most heavily scrutinized uh, vice presidential choice of all time. And, uh, you know, I, I think the stakes are still very high for the Democrats. And I still think that, uh, you know, as long as the so, uh, if the coronavirus and, and this current stock market tr crash and, and all the kind of ramifications of all that, if we're in a recession in fall, then, yes, Trump is toast. I don't think we're going to be in recession in fall. I don't know if the American public is going to blame Trump for coronavirus-related economic problems that much. Um, you know, for most of this time, I thought it was a 50-50, and it all depended on what the mood of the country was. You know, right. who are they angrier at on Election Day uh, 2020? And I think that still remains to be seen. I do think that 
Democrats have suddenly realized their party is a lot more divided than they thought it was. And all of their, you know, they had really, I kept thinking like the Democrats would end up with some sort of like Kamala Harris, Sherrod Brown type ticket, right? Yeah. You want to get younger, you want to do better in the Midwest, you want to drive up turnout amongst minorities, you want to drive up turnout amongst uh, women. I'm not sure Joe Biden does any of those things. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he helps in the Midwest a little. Maybe he drives up turnout in African-Americans because of the Obama halo effect. But God, it just feels like a, it feels like a big roll of the dice for, from where I sit, Brady. Yeah, and I, I want to talk more about Joe Biden, but before I forget, I— uh... And I, look, I'm not bear with me, Jim. I'm not going full like MAGA Sean Hannity or anything. I swear. But, <laughs> look, I, we we do have an economic downturn once a decade, uh, you know, without fail, uh, almost uh, for the last you know, hundred hundred and fifty years, and we're we're going on twelve years, right? <laughs> Since the crash in '08, like we are overdue. Uh, so I mean, yeah. just yeah. without the coronavirus, without all the the Saudi Arabia Russia nonsense. Uh, over oil prices, it, we're still looking at an economic downturn, even without those factors. It, does it help Trump that it's happening in March, not in October? And then, in, like you alluded to, Trump can easily make the case that it has nothing to do with him. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, you know, he's yeah. like, look, like, like some crazy people in China eating bats uh, has really nothing to do with the Trump administration. I don't think that's that tough of a sell to American voters. And he can make he can do what he does best and make the press look foolish for claiming otherwise um like he can almost turn this around on the democrats and on the press uh, as he's very effective in doing over the last five years so like i don't know can this help trump that we're kind of getting this recession out of the way now or not recession but this economic slowdown or downturn yeah. out of the way now and not later sure uh there are two factors that i think work for, work in trump's favor the first is and, and i've not been thrilled with some of the comments that he's made. I still think he's seeing this as a re-election problem and a uh, potential stock market problem instead of a public health problem. I right. don't want to see him contradicting anything from anybody else in government. If I, if, I would love to see Trump you know, introduce Anthony Fauci um, and CDC officials every day. Just do it in the middle of the day. Talk about what you're doing. Keep reminding people to wash their hands like Lady Macbeth. And, uh, and you know, you'll probably get through it okay. I don't think he's quite doing that. But that having been said, if you want to say, ah, oh, the reason, you know, America's got more and more cases is because of Trump. Look, the United Kingdom's in the same situation. Most of Europe's in the same situation. Japan's in the same situation. Korea, South Korea. Look, you can have really terrific leadership and this virus is still going to spread. So the idea, I, I don't really know if what your, pre your president is saying is that decisive in terms of the spread. It's much more spread by human behavior and things that are beyond the control of the Oval Office of the White House. Um, but the other thing is also, is you look at how we, last week in the markets, look, when the stock market crashes, it's a little bit of a panic and, you know, stocks that, stocks that were overvalued careen past the, the right value level and they get into being undervalued. You were just talking about uh, Ford a couple of days ago. You know, if you think the Ford Motor Company is going to be around a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and my guess is they probably will be and probably be selling cars pretty healthily. Well, you know what? At $6 a share, that's probably pretty pretty, uh, pretty cheap. You probably could, you know, pick it up pretty nicely. That's what happens every time the stock market goes down. And because we had such a great head of economic – yeah, let me rephrase that. Because we had such a great head of economic steam heading into this crisis. Right. You We'd like to think that we get this out of our system in two months, three months, four months, sometime down the road. They come su late summer or fall. All of a sudden, this could start taking off like a rocket as everything. Like, OK, we got through this new burst of optimism into the market, pent up market demand. Um, people start going on cruises again. People start flying again. Uh, and everything could be we, we could have 
a, they, you know, nobody's got a crystal ball, but you could have a roaring economy come November, which would be, you know, exactly what the uh, Trump administration would want to see. So, you know, it's, it's within the realm here. Again, I don't, you know, as much as I'm frustrated by the president, I also don't think the uh, New York Times column saying, let's call it Trump virus uh, and <laughs> all of this, like, you know, the, the, the effort to to politicize, the effort to turn what I think is a, you know, pretty serious, not not full on panic, get ready for, you know, things to look like Mad Max or The Walking Dead or anything like that. But, you know, this is a pretty serious situation, particularly for those who are elderly or immunocompromised. That's, you know, there are about, I did, ran the numbers on this. According to the CDC, there are about 11 million people in this country who are over age 65 and who have either poor or fair health by the the standards of the CDC. Those are the folks we got to worry about. Those are the folks we have to keep isolated away from this virus. And if we do that, we'll probably come through this okay. Um, you know, and, and it's possible that by midsummer we're looking at this and it's not that bad. You mentioned, you know, the, the change in temperature should help. Not a ton. I, I think some people said, you know, 10 to 20 percent is the rate you're looking at, how this, how it slows the spread of viruses. Um, so, you know, we, we could get through the storm pretty, you know, pretty smoothly if we make the right decisions. And, you know, you have less folks who decide to break quarantine because they, you know, really wanted a snack or something like that. And, uh, you know, you end up with things that, that we, we could get through this okay and be in a great shape by fall. Or <laughs> things or may not. not be that, that doing that great. And uh, I think it's, I don't think it's exaggerating to say that the presidency probably, you know, heavily hinges on this. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so, like most people did, I, I completely declared Joe Biden's campaign and career dead uh, a month ago. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I didn't think I was too crazy for doing so. I, I predicted that Biden was going to be the nominee for the last year, and I apologized to my audience last month. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I didn't see this coming. I did not... I did not see this. I, I apologize. I was I was way wrong. And then see, I should have just doubled down, uh, st <laughs> stuck to my guns. Um, Biden's wrapping this up tomorrow. Uh, I, I just I don't know if you saw any poll numbers out of the states voting this week, this morning, Jim. But uh, Biden's up double digits in Michigan, a state that Bernie won in, in 2016. He's up 30 in Missouri. And get this. He's up 55 points in Mississippi, which is just a bonkers, yeah. bonkers number. I mean, the African-Americans really do not like uh, Bernie Sanders. I, you know, I, I, don't, yeah, I think that's just the bottom line there. But, man, in, in one month, uh, a geriatric 78-year-old former vice president who can't remember what state he's in has, has gone from you know, polling third or fourth nationally to wrapping this thing up a week after Super yeah. Tuesday. I mean, I, have you seen a political comeback like this? I, and no. uh, my goodness, <laughs> you know, I, I did not expect uh, Joe Biden to be the comeback kid, uh, to say the least. Uh, yeah, it's worth noting that, you know, when Bill Clinton called himself the comeback kid back in 1992, he didn't really come back that much. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, for those of us who are like, for, to put it in, in even, you know, an even worse situation, for almost all of 2019, I was looking at the polling numbers and, you know, we saw Biden have some not so great, you know, debate performances. We all remember Kamala Harris just going up there and just, you know, taking his lunch money and uh, having a sense of like, well, OK, Biden seems to be doing OK in both the national polls and these early state polls. Biden's doing pretty good. And compared to a lot of my colleagues at National Review, I was I was considered the Biden optimist, right? The, the guy who was bullish on Biden. He goes, has fourth place in Iowa, which is bad. He goes out and has fifth place in New Hampshire, which is really bad. And on the editor's podcast, I'm like, yep, this, he's toast. What a terrible idea. What was I thinking? 
Um, he was ready for everything except contact with the voters. Right. And, uh, and then of course, then he turns it around. Now, I think what's worth noting is, you know, that the re you know, people had good reason to be skeptical in that front runners do not usually crash and burn in the first two contests like that. Right. But the other thing, the other major factor here, you alluded to his support amongst African-Americans. Those are two really, really white States. I believe the African-American population in Iowa is like 4%, and I think it's like 1.5% in New Hampshire. Democrats are going to seriously rethink if they want to have those two states go first in future cycles. Because, you know, if you're a, this is a, you know, the African-Americans have always been a key, you know, demographic within the party. The idea of having to go through, you know, four contests before you encounter a state that has a significant African-American population, you know, to participating in the primaries or caucuses, you know, that, that just doesn't make any sense if you're a Democrat. Um, you know, he did, Biden did OK in Nevada. But look, Bernie Sanders was always going to look tough in a can, in a field of like six or seven candidates. And what happened was the Democrats did what Republicans could not do against Donald Trump in 2016. They got all their stragglers, all their also rans, all their folks who were in the mix but trailing and got them out and got them to endorse Biden. Um, and, you know, Amy Klobuchar was at 5% in a whole bunch of the Super Tuesday states. You know, you're not going anywhere with that. You're, you're not getting any delegates. Um, Pete Buttigieg was at, you know, 8%, 10%, even up to 13 14% in some states. You get both of them to drop out and you put most of that, you know, 15 to 19% in the Biden pile. Well, you get a result like we saw last Tuesday night. Uh, you know, the, there were a whole, yeah, Bernie Sanders speaks for a significant chunk of the Democratic Party. Anywhere from 20-some percent to 40-some percent, depending on the state. The problem is he doesn't speak for the rest, and the rest really don't trust him. And that's the story of this uh, for really, you know, two straight cycles now. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And I have a couple additional theories on why Bernie has tanked so quickly. First of all, I don't think Bernie has picked up a single voter in the last four years. I mean, it's like his base is it hasn't really declined, but it's the exact same people that voted for him in 2016. He won, you know, 40% of the primary vote in 2016, and he's done absolutely nothing to expand his base. I mean, it's pretty tough to expand your base when you praise Fidel Castro and call Israel a racist country. Yeah, you know, that's not, not going to help. But also, I'm feeling that like Bernie's supporters may have come into play here. They may have turned a lot of people off. I mean, Bernie hasn't changed. I mean, Bernie brags about how he hasn't changed at all since the 50s. <laughs> He's been wildly consistent. Uh, but Ber the Bernie bros have really dialed up, like, the the evil <laughs> in, re yeah. in recent years. Like, they, they openly call themselves communists. They harass people. They do things like... Uh, beating that young Asian journalist half to death with bike locks. And so, I mean, like, yep. look, if you're a Democratic voter who's trying to, you, you're going to vote blue, but you're trying to decide who to vote for in these primaries, and the, the Biden supporter you know is, like, your neighbor who you grill burgers with, and the Bernie supporter you know is, like, your degenerate nephew who spray paints hammers and sickles on dumpsters, <laughs> like, yeah, that might come into play. Yeah. You know, after the Nevada caucus win, where, where Bernie Sanders, Sanders drastically outperformed everybody who was going to win. They didn't know what his margin was. He, right. you know, he blew away the rest of the field. That was the moment where most candidates would say, OK, we, we are now in the driver's seat. We, we are now in a position to win this thing. We know we're not going to win South Carolina, but we don't have to. Right? All, now it's time to start reaching out to the other ones. Now it's time to the other candidates and the other factions of the party and to say, OK. And so when he gets when Bernie Sanders got asked about his past comments on Fidel Castro, the right answer is not, OK, now I'm going to get into my traditional role as Fidel Castro's defense attorney and to insist that, look, the police state isn't that bad. 
And the death squads, look, you got to balance that against an improvement in the literacy rate. So it all kind of squares out in the end. He yeah. yelled That's at Demo- he, he started screaming at Democratic voters during that debate for booing yes. his his pro-communism comedy. Oh, well, what? What? You don't like literacy? Like he's scolding the Democratic <laughs> voters. It's like, my yeah. goodness, doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on his support of Castro. Yeah. And a you know, a better candidate, a one who really was a little who had really thought through what do I have to do to win this nomination would have said, uh, do you mind if I lapse into Bernie's? You know, I know I've said a lot of things in the past that have rubbed people the wrong way. I've even said some things that have angered some people. But in the end, what unites us is greater than what divides us. And so it's time to leave that behind as water under the bridge and focus on beating. The, you know, right. Don't focus on your, your stuff. Bernie Sanders couldn't concede the point. He could not say that anybody who was criticizing him on Castro had a valid point or that he had, you know, um, been too general. You know, he could think, think about it. Bernie Sanders, he says he's been always been opposed to authoritarian regimes. When? I, right. <laughs> I mean, he's always been the hey, let's give them credit where it's due. You know, I've never seen a full throated up yours, Fidel Castro. You're a you know, you're a authoritarian monster who has thrown people into prison, you know. If he had done any of that, if he had, if he'd really been as anti-authoritarian as he claims to be, and up on a debate stage, he had suddenly torn into Castro, I think everybody would have said, "Whoa!" I think a lot of people would have said, "Okay, maybe we, maybe that stuff is in the past. Maybe this is a new Bernie. You know, maybe he is more, uh, more in the mainstream in his thinking." It would not have taken a lot for him to reassure people on this, and he chose not to do it. And I think it just says a great deal about the kind of guy that he is. I'm sure he felt that some people were going to respect him for not giving one iota on the the upside of the Castro regime and other stances like that. Um, but it did not. And the other thing, which I think is, as you, we, we kind of alluded to earlier, um, Sanders appeals to a certain kind of, uh, as you said, you know, the, the, it was interesting to see people believing that Warren voters and Sanders voters were interchangeable. I really don't think they are. And in fact, from what we've seen, the Warren vote seems to have split pretty evenly between Sanders and Biden. I think the Sanders vote, Voters are people who have large. I don't say. Well, you know, if, if I can't be if I can't be nasty on your podcast, when can I be nasty? Hey, right. It, this, is, this is what I'm here for, man. Okay. So, you know, Bernie Sanders did almost nothing with his life for the first 40 years of his life. Nothing. Right. I mean, like he, he was. You know, he was. He, you know, didn't make a steady paycheck. He was kicked out was of a commune. He was kicked out radical. of a commune for there being you. too lazy. Right. Kicked out of a commune. Uh, living in a shack that didn't have running water and electricity. <laughs> uh, couldn't hold down a steady job. Um, it's a, his first real job was mayor of Burlington, right? right? So a lot of people are thinking like, what's wrong with Burlington to make that decision? Um, if you have done, if you spent the first 40 years of your life and he, and he grew up in a working class community in Brooklyn, he, he was, you know, he wasn't raised dirt poor, he, you know, he was, you know, but you, you enter young adulthood and nothing goes right for the first 15, 20 years. I wonder if your viewpoint that America is a terrible place. And that America is a place that doesn't give you opportunities or America is a place that expects you to work <laughs> for your opportunity. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much Bernie Sanders viewpoint of America is shaped by those difficulties of those first 15 to 20 years. And his conclusion, the problem can't be with me. The problem has to be with the broader society. The problem, you know, the problem is we have an unjust system. It's not that I'm lazy and it's not that I'm constantly lecturing people on how things should be, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I wonder if he attracts that kind of personality of other folks, that, that, that sense of people who believe the system screwed them over. And in some cases, maybe the system did. Maybe they really did have some bad breaks in life. Or maybe some people made some really bad choices and they're not where they want to be in life. And now they really, really want to 
scapegoat the system for everything that's going wrong for them. That's my that's my theory of the Sanders supporters, which they're going to love, of course. You know. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how just to expand on that. I, I don't know how many people want to join a movement that's based on like anger and greed. <laughs> you know, like that is the the, yeah. the Bernie support. Like that that was not yeah, you know. that was not the Obama coalition. Like Obama was hopeful, it was hope and change. You know, and yeah. Trump coalition of the ascendant, right? You know, hope right. change. Yeah, yeah. And make them, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And, and yes. you know, make America great again. I mean, that says a lot in four words. You know, that we we were great, we're not that mm-hmm. great now, and we can become great again. Like I don't know, you know, Trump's no. Uh, psychologist or anything but whoever came up for the, came over that forum uh, you know oh. did a very good job and bernie doesn't have a brand like that it's just i'm pissed off it's america's fault come be angry with me mm-hmm. and you're just not going to expand your base outside of young angry commies at that point yeah. but look and, we, you know, also a sense that the system has to be turned upside down right right the system has to be you know and you know so i live in fairfax county um i'm sorry you know a mo- bunch of my friends and neighbors are, are democrats but they're not tear everything down Democrats. They are they're homeowners. They send their kids to a good public school. They, you know, life has turned out pretty good for them. And if your entire campaign message has no place for the people who feel like they're doing okay, and not only that, pretty much demonizes the people who are doing okay. Right. Then surprise, surprise, all the people who are doing okay are gonna go in the other direction. And oh, but you know, surprise, surprise, Biden won for Virginia by a wide margin, including Northern Virginia. Which I think is, you know, I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters will say, well, yeah, of course, that's where the Democratic establishment lives. Well, OK, but you want to win Virginia? You got to make peace with that group. That, that's the fastest, biggest growing demographic. You know, like you can't, you know, the Bernie Sanders campaign has been entirely based upon two theories. One is that their coalition, as it is, was enough to win the nomination, which it was not. And then ultimately, they're going to bring out this massive wave of new voters and people who had been disillusioned and fallen away and hadn't voted in many years. And that has not happened either. So at this point, the entire you know Sanders campaign was based on a strategy that has been proven not to work. So good luck, fellas. It, it's been one more point before I let you go, Jim. It's it's been fun uh, and exhausting, kind of mentally preparing myself um, for the different matchups, right? Like I, I was mentally prepared for uh, for Trump Biden to begin this process a year ago, and then I had to prepare myself for Trump Bernie. Um, but man, Trump Biden is a totally different race than Trump Bernie. Trump Bernie yeah. is, you know, capitalism, free markets, first communism. And then Trump Biden, I, I mean, I think Biden's mental state is going to take center stage. I think rightfully so. Um, I think people have, uh, are justified in their uh, qu- questions <laughs> whether or not Biden is mentally fit to be president. But here's the thing, like this isn't the 1940s where you can hide the fact that the president's in a wheelchair. <laughs> That's just not yeah. like Biden can't hide for eight months. Like, he has to campaign. He has to debate. He has to debate Trump, <laughs> okay? Like, he cannot go lock himself in his room until November. He has to be on the campaign trail. And boy, oh boy, I think it's going to get wild. I think I think it's going to get wild. Yeah. Again, now that this narrative has been established, and I don't think this is— Here's the thing. The entire concept—at the beginning of the cycle, you know, Joe Biden was the front runner, And I think it's because everybody had this picture in their head of Joe Biden debating Paul Ryan. Biden and that vice presidential debate. Right. You know, malarkey, you know, but Biden, both in his physical appearance and his his let's just say his verbal acuity and, and everything he was saying back in 2012, even the way to 2016. Look, Joe Biden got old. Yeah, fast between fast. 2000, the end of 2016 and when he reappeared on the scene in the beginning of the 2019 cycle. And his statements, you know, it was it was very revealing that most of his camp in the early part of the campaign, 
He was doing short web videos. You know, this is the most controlled environment for your candidate as they possibly can. And as you mentioned, right, if you're running for president, you pretty much have to run every day. Um, we're, you know, we're, we thought we had health questions about Hillary Clinton last cycle. We're going to get a lot of them this cycle. Although this all assumes, of course, that we can still gather in large places right. for candidate rallies <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but just a very revealing, you know, so Axios does what I like to call that other morning newsletter. Um, but they talked about like the different people who could be in a Joe Biden cabinet. And they said, John Kerry would love to have a new cabinet position devoted to climate change or might even accept a curtain call to return as secretary of state. Brady, how much excitement do you have about bringing back John Kerry? I like the John Kerry impressions. So, you know. (laughs) What did it were, Brady? What did it were? I'm John Kerry. I mean, I'd like to be able to do that on the podcast all the time, but reprising John Kerry as secretary of state seems absolutely terrifying. At this point, yeah. um, and also just like not not accept, you know, the here the old guard is back is the message of, of talks like that. The other one which kind of jumped out at me was two possibilities for Treasury Secretary Elizabeth Warren, oh no, or Jamie Dimon, the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, what struck me pretty is these. I don't think either one. Of, I don't think Elizabeth Warren and Jamie Dimon agree on everything and on, on anything. No, right. I think if they saw each other. They would like find sharp instruments and try to kill each other. Yeah. So the fact that both of them are considered possibilities for the Treasury Secretary point means that Joe Biden doesn't know what he wants to do in terms of economic policy and all that kind of stuff, because they would give you completely different. You know, each one of them would be pushing in a completely different direction for economic policy. And I just don't know if uh, I mean, look, conventional wisdom obviously says that Biden is, is a little bit tougher for Trump to beat than Bernie. But. He's going to run the the Warren G. Harding return to normalcy kind of campaign. He's going to try. But Mm -hmm. the country was not doing well under Woodrow Wilson. And and Woodrow Wilson was a racist, angry communist (laughs) who uh, instituted instituted the income tax and got us into World War One. So, like, we're doing a lot better now than we were at the end of the Wilson administration. So I just don't know if the bring the old guard back is going to play as well as the DNC thinks it is. No, I think you, you are. Like, so we're, we're trying to calculate for a couple of different factors here. The first is Trump won in 2016. How much of that is because of Trump's strength and how much of that is because Liz, uh, Hillary Clinton was a terrible, terrible candidate? And oh, by the way, the fact that Bernie Sanders is doing much poorer this cycle than he did four years ago means that a big chunk of Bernie Sanders appeal four years ago was people saying, I just don't want Hillary Clinton. That, man, the, the polls in right? Michigan, the fact that the the fact that Biden's going to win Michigan yeah. by double digits is a huge indictment on Hillary Clinton. All right. So, you know, that, that that's a factor against Trump, uh, Trump. The idea that, well, OK, maybe Hillary Clinton was just really, really weak. Now, the question then is, you know, if you on this campaign uh, for a long time, I always thought a return to normalcy was actually the strongest message Democrats could do. I think there are a bunch of Americans who up until, you know, two weeks ago were enjoying this economy, enjoying the low unemployment, um, not fond of the president and how he goes on these Twitter tirades, not fond of how he treats people. You know, they don't like the man, but they kind of like the results they're getting. So the Democratic message should be we can continue the results, but you don't have to deal with all the the circus that comes with Trump. And for much of this cycle, Democrats didn't want to do that at all. They wanted to say, we're going to get rid of ICE enforcement. We're going to, uh, hell yeah, we're going to take your AR-15. Like they, they wanted to, no, no, it's time for a crazy political revolution much further to the left which is not what I think the country is yearning for. Um, Biden could be, you know, hey, hey, America, we're coming back to normal. 
But God, you know, the thing that makes him, you know, just personally, you know, he, he just, again, if you, if you come across as confused and Mr. Magooish, that's not going to be a, a, that's not going to work against Trump. And then just generally this sense of like, okay, how much does a Biden presidency incorporate this new angry hard left? Does it incorporate it a little bit? Does it incorporate it some? None at all. Um, because America pretty much, like the Democrats have made clear, they don't want Sanders and they're not looking for AOC style uh, hard leftism. And so the, I think the risk in a Biden presidency is, okay, Democrats keep, if, if Biden wins, Democrats probably keep the House. The Senate's going to be close either way. And you have a President Biden. So President Biden under that scenario doesn't give you the full Biden, give you the full Sanders socialist revolution. But he's probably going to sign some stuff into law that, you know, those of us on the right would rather not see. So I, you know, in, in how many people in that scenario say, OK, another four years of Trump is the low risk scenario. Yeah. Which sounds crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, vote Trump for a calmer, <laughs> more easygoing, <laughs> relaxed America. Trump, Donald Trump, the calming president. The president. steady hand. Yeah, the steady hand in American discourse. What a time to be alive. It's going to be it's going to be a wild 8 months. <laughs> Either way, it it's going to be an entertaining 8 months. Jim, I kept you over way longer than I said it would as always. It's kind of become a trend here on No Gimmicks podcast. Uh, but before Not I let you go, I try to I try to clear my schedule before we get started. Uh, so. you know me too well, Jim. You know me too well. <laughs> so, all the plugs, give us the plugs, the podcast, the morning jolt, Twitter, all all the good stuff. Sure. Uh, go to nationalreview.com. You can subscribe to The Morning Jolt. Uh, I try to off by nine. It means it could hit your email box. Ten-ish, uh, eleven. Anyway, um, the uh, I'm on Twitter, at Jim Garrity. Uh, do a podcast every day with Greg Columbus called The Three Martini Lunch, which I'll be taping right after this. Uh, once a week, I do a, a taping with the other editors at National Review, Charlie Cook, Michael Brendan Doherty, and Rich Lowry called The Editors. Mickey White and I do a pop culture podcast. Podcast. We finally got one of those out. You can just, just look on the, the hashtag TJAMS, T-J-A-M-S, for the Jim and Mickey show. Uh, do that one. It's on SoundCloud and all everywhere fine podcasts are found. And uh, and I'm working on the second novel, although it's taken, it's taken a long time to go through the, the, the re-edits. But uh, that's everything I got going on. Everybody check out uh, Jim on Twitter, too, at Jim Garrity. Check out the Three Martini Lunch, the Jim and Mickey show, the editors, the Morning Jolt. Make sure you subscribe. If you only have time to read one column a day, definitely check out The Morning Jolt. Jim gets you up to speed on everything you need to know uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Um.